0: What is the condition of your heart? And that is the question we are exploring today as we have been studying Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower, or as some call it the parable of the four soils. Uh, You can take your pick which title you like. Uh, This morning I said the heart is the inner you. It is the center of your life that combines your mind, your affections, and Your will. And I said, when your heart is healthy, uh, your spiritual life is healthy. And I also made this point that the fundamental problem of life is that we are not healthy. We have a heart disease. Uh, all of us are born into this world with dead hearts. But thank God for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that He has reached out to us in our deadness, as it were. He has sent His son, the Lord Jesus, who came that first Christmas, he has come, as the hymn writer says, to give us a second birth, to give us new hearts. And if we trust in him, we can have that new heart. And this question, uh, the question we are exploring today is, how can we know that we have received this new heart, this new life? From God. That's what we've been looking at in the morning, and that's what we're looking at this evening. What is the evidence that assures us that we have truly received a new heart from the Lord Jesus Christ? Well this morning, I said, the way we do that is by looking at the fruit, the evidence of that. Dead hearts are fruitless hearts. New hearts bear spiritual fruit. And so to to help us do that, to check uh, the state of our hearts, the condition of our hearts, we are walking through this parable of the sower. In fact, we're looking at the interpretation. Of course, verse 1 to 9 is Jesus telling the parable, but from verse 13 or verse 15 to verse 20, Jesus provides the interpretation. We are using the four soils as heart tests uh, to see how our hearts compare To the three dead hearts in this parable and the one fruitful heart. If you like, we want to rule out those three dead hearts and we want to look at our hearts and say, yeah, actually, they look more like the fruitful heart. That's what we're doing. And this morning, we looked at the first two hearts in verse 13 to verse 17 uh, there. We learned that some people have hard hearts and others have. Hollow hearts. And both hearts are dead hearts. They are not true followers of Jesus. at okay. all. They are not converted. This evening I want us to compare our hearts to the third and fourth soils. In verse 18 to verse 20. As I said, one is dead uh, and fruitless. And the other one is alive and kicking. Fruitful. Right? So please turn with me to verse 18 there. And the first truth in your outline, which you have, is hindered hearts have fruitless hearts. So some people have what I call hindered hearts. Jesus has just explained the second soil, right? And now he turns to this third soil. The third soil, you notice there in verse 18 and 19, it is better than the second soil, but it has its own problems. Let's read verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And in this soil, you notice that the seed germinates, doesn't it? And the plant starts to grow. There seems some evidence of life there. And I would imagine those visiting the, 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 the farm or the, 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 the farm where they sow has sown the seed, they're quite impressed. As they can say, yeah, you know, something is germinating. It looks like we've got life here. But remember, of course, this represents People. The soil represents people. And we might say, if we're thinking in terms of people, we'll say, well, the person who this soil represents, it shows a bit of a sign of life. We might say, it's not hard-hearted. It's not as just mildly awakened as a second soul. This is fully awakened to spiritual things. We can imagine this person, he or she, knows the Bible very well. Loves listening to sermons, perhaps on the internet. I read a lot of theology, very well versed. And I would imagine this person even encourages other people to look to Jesus. He's fully awakened, there's a sign of life there. In fact, everyone who's walking by thinks he or she is a true follower of Jesus. And I would think such a person would be a member of a church, perhaps even be baptized. But inside his heart, this person has spiritual thorns growing, which others can see. He is growing, listen, he is growing in knowing more about Jesus, but he is also growing in sin. The two things are growing together. This should not be happening. Because you see, true growth in Jesus should be leading us to greater surrender to Jesus. More sins being put to death, not increasing. Yes, we become more aware of our sinfulness but truly in Christ. Because you see, I often said, like, the more we grow, it's like looking, moving from an analog television to... Uh, to a HDTV or something like that, you know, which is digital sharp. So there's a sense in which if we're truly converted, of course, we are more aware of our sinfulness, but there should be less sins in our lives. We should, we should be putting to death what is remaining in us. So as the more we should be growing to surrender, there shouldn't be greater thorns growing. No, we should be putting out the weeds. Right? But that's not the case with this person. The sin and the interest in Jesus, they are growing together. And the reason why this is the case is that this person is not truly surrendered to Christ. His true surrender in Christ is being hindered by these spiritual thorns that Jesus has mentioned in verse 9. And these thorns are preventing him or her receiving a new heart. She is fully awake. It's very important you understand this point. We've emphasized it. The, the prior work of the Holy Spirit has started perhaps to open this person up to spiritual truth, but conversion, new birth, hasn't yet taken place. They have excitement of, of, of things about Christ, but they are not really surrendered yet. And the tragedy is that our work of the Spirit, of course, is being choked out, we can, to speak that sense. Of course, there's a sense in which the work of the Spirit is irresistible, but the word being sown there is being choked, So that person never re- reaches that point of true surrender to Jesus. Never reaches conversion. And Jesus here gives us three thorns that are preventing. Three of them. The first thorn here that is preventing that total surrender to Jesus is the chaos of the world, the cares of the world. Look at this line. They are those who hear the word, verse eighteen. But the cares of the world, of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering and choke the world. The cares of the world, of the world, have entered in and choked any desire to surrender to Jesus. What are these cares of the world? Well. If you have other versions, it says um, the worries of this life. Other versions says anxieties of the world. All of these things are describing the same thing. We might say that this person is forever worrying about things he needs to have or do to make his life in this world worth living. He desires to have the good life. And that is choking any desire of wholeheartedly surrendering to Jesus. A.W. Tozer says this, there is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess and always to possess. In the dance, Allow that root that Toza is talking about, that passion to get their hands on as much stuff of this world as they can to stop them from genuine surrender to Jesus. So you find that there are always one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Or there are one person in church and another person in private. You'll find that people like this, there's always a part of them you don't really know. You see, a hindered heart does want to follow Jesus. But it also wants other things. Or should I say, and other things. I call them the and group. I want Jesus and something else. You are saying to yourself, I need Jesus and I need to be thought of well by everyone else around me. I need Jesus and I want my child to be the best person. To be the best in class or best in nursery, whatever it is. I need Jesus and I need a better paying job. I need Jesus and I need to have money. The point is their focus is divided between Jesus and other things. And Jesus, you either take him as he is in full or you, want, you take him or leave him. You can't have him half-heartedly, to quote Max Lucado. Now these things they want are not bad of in of themselves. The problem is that Jesus is not enough without these things. They feel incomplete. They have. A half hearted devotion. Just like Judas, just like Simon Magus, just like Demas, we might say in the scriptures. That's the first stone that shocks that. And this evening, ask yourself, you know, am I allowing this? Do do, do I have evidence of these things or things, these things that, am I an end person? That's a very serious question to ask ourselves because if we're an end person, Perhaps we have never been truly regenerated. The second thorn here is the deceitfulness of riches. Look at verse 19 again. The second thorn, by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Can we be very clear here, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is not talking about riches as the thorn. He's saying the deceitfulness of riches or the deception of riches. Jesus is saying riches can deceive you in a way that hinders true surrender to Jesus. How do riches deceive people away from Jesus, from totally surrendering to Jesus? I think it's in two ways. First of all, riches deceive us before we even have riches. What do I mean by that? Well, there is a voice in our know, ears that saying, if you only had enough money like that, life would be easier. Wouldn't it? If only you only had a bit of money, life would be easier. Satan's so already whispering, I haven't got enough in my account. Uh, that's a problem, I guess. So Satan comes and says, sure, like, if you only had a bit of a 10 grand or more, or whatever, just on a, on a monthly basis, life would be easier. Wouldn't it? Now, we know that. It is not that is not true. We know that. How do we know that? Because we can look around us. We see we know many celebrities that have climbed to the top of riches, and they tell us there's nothing out there. Jim Carrey, anyone? David James, the footballer, went bankrupt. The list is endless. They'll tell you there is nothing at the top. Now, of course, you might say, well, that's good for you to say you've been up there. <laughs> I want to check out for myself. But the truth of the matter is, we know this in our own heart, that money does not ultimately bring that which we long for. But it doesn't stop that voice, does it? It doesn't stop that voice. Because the voice is quite powerful. It's saying, if you only had enough money, life would get easier. And the truth of the matter is that we find ourselves giving in to that voice. And so what happens is that we organize our lives... Yes, we are are not like we may not be doing wildly, silly things to get money but many of us organize our lives, our spiritual lives, around trying to get money. What I mean by that is that if you go to spare time, for example you find that people instead of studying God's word, uh, they will just take an an additional job. And so constantly everything is about accumulating more and more money. We are worshipping money, not Jesus. So riches often deceive us in that way. The second way riches deceive us is actually when we get the riches. Okay? We're, they deceive us when we have them. Because you see what happens is that we've got one problem which is we're trying to get money. The other problem is that once we've got money, and it's you know interesting or it's of a good size, we start putting our trust in money rather than God. It deceives us into thinking that money will keep us forever. And many people are like that. If you want to know whether money is deceiving you, just look at your bank statement. Uh, How much of your cash goes on supporting God's work? That's, That's all you have to do. Just ask that question of your bank statement. Now, Christian statisticians, here there's such a thing, Christian statisticians tell us that in Western countries, around 80% of those who attend church only give 2 to 3% of their income. Did you get that? 80% of Western Christians who attend church, 2 to 3%, or would profess faith in Christ, 80% of them only give. 2-3% to 3% of their income. In fact, 20% don't give at all. If you're worried about 2-3%, to 3%, of course, you know that uh, <laughs> the general rule which the Scripture encourages us to think around, you know, it's not legalistic, but, you know, if you're giving above 10%, then, then, then you know, you're beginning to live sacrificially, are we? That's what we're saying. So 2-3% to 3% is well, Lord, if you think about that seriously. 20% who profess faith in Christ, don't give at all. You might ask, where is most of the money going? Where is it going? It is going to line up their coffins. It is going to line up their eternal coffins. Because the truth of the matter is that you can't take money to heaven, but you sure take it to hell with you. That's a matter of fact. And Jesus here is saying, no one who is preoccupied with having more money in life has truly received a new heart. Their heart belongs to mammon. Such a person lives for earthly treasures. That's the second thorn. The third thorn, Jesus shows us here, uh, that chokes life, chokes surrendering to Jesus rather, is the desire for other things. Look at verse 19 again. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things entering and choke the word, And it proves, I like that word, proves. It shows that they were unfruitful. There was no life there in the first place. So the desire for other things is a, is a, second, is a third thorn. What, what, what does this mean by this? I think this is like we've got two things and this is everything That's in the, that is not in those two Okay, this is every desire not covered by the desire, the desire that we've talked about uh, for money or uh, the desires for other things. Uh, this is sorry, the desire basically the deceitfulness of riches or the cares of the world. This is the desires for other things outside that, and this is a big group. I think we could call this group simply that. It is a desire for human pleasure. Anything that brings us human pleasure, fixing this. You see, all human beings by nature desire three forms of pleasures, I would say. Uh, Physical pleasure, intellectual pleasure, and emotional pleasure. And these things are not evil in themselves. They are part of who we are as human beings. We love to be emotionally pleasured, so to speak. They are no evil themselves. God in fact gave them to us as gifts to be enjoyed in a redemptive relationship relationship with Him. The problem is that when we pursue these things as our ultimate happiness, they stop us from truly surrendering to Jesus. They hinder receiving a new heart. When we are taking stock, should I surrender to Jesus? These things are Come up and say, No, 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 If you do that, you've got to give up this, you've got to give up that, you've got to give up that. You don't want to do that. Stick to the human pleasure. But we have to remember, friends look, you cannot be controlled by deep and sacrificial love of Jesus and also have a growing love for human pleasure. The two don't go together. It is like water and fire, one must conquer the other. And yet, when we look at many who claim to be followers of Jesus, uh, they seem to be under the same slavery to this human pleasure. If I take, for example, just in the realm of sex as one, we see that many Christians are to the same slavery to sex that the world around us have. American surveys show that 50% of professing Christian men, 50%, of professing christian men and 20% of christian women are addicted to pornography one in five women and one in two professing christian men the question is obvious this is a sample of any church i would have thought so the question is obvious isn't it are all these people true followers of jesus Well, the answer is clearly no. I mean, if they are addicted and they are held by these things and they can't surrender to Jesus, if they want Jesus and pornography, the answer is no. Now, now, I am not saying that true followers of Jesus do not struggle with these three thorns. Okay? We do. But these thorns do not hinder our surrender to Jesus. We are not trying to hold on to these thorns. In fact, we are working to kill them, so to, to put them to death, as Paul says, to the church at Colossae. The true follower of Jesus is growing in surrendering to Jesus. That's the issue here. Over time, there should be less and less thorns of these kinds in our lives. We must be on that upward trajectory, the upward line that Brother Fred mentioned in one of his sermons. Yes, we struggle with some of these sons from day to day, but we are putting them to death so that we are experiencing less and less sin in these areas over time. But the first follower is different. The that add, they are growing in getting involved in these things. Because their life revolves around these things, even as they are found in the fellowship of God's people. As I said, all true followers of Jesus will suffer temptation. But for a true follower of Jesus, the thorns and the weeds should decline over time. The problem you see with the the hindered hearts is that they never grow in surrender. They are always on that downward spiral that culminates. In proving that they were not truly converted. As Jesus says in verse 19. Uh, these things, other things enter in and choke the word, And it proves unfruitful. If you like, there's a sense in which these people, they are content to let the weeds just grow and grow and grow. And choke any surrender to Jesus. And the tragedy here is that people with the believe they belong to Jesus. But they are more like Lot's wife. Do you remember the, the story of Lot's wife? She came out physically out of Sodom. But her heart remained in Sodom. She was headed to Zohar, but her heart still remained in Sodom. And by God's judgment, she never made it. She never passed from darkness of Sodom to the light of Zohar. Those are the hindered hearts. I hope you've noticed that we, we've got... A, the grass is growing very well outside. Uh, we, we, are, we are a tale of two grasses, this church. Uh, we've got grass this end, riddled with weeds and all sorts. And the weeds have been growing. And I can't tell what we've got going on there. I mean, you can't tell the difference. Right? And we go on this side. Because the problem this side became so bad which was everywhere, uh, by God's grace, somebody was able to give us a gift, and we had a new lawn now put there, right? That's new lawn, that's growing now. And that's a good visual image for you to have, what what we're talking about here, right? The true follower of Jesus is more like the new lawn, right? Uh, The weeds have been uprooted and therefore a new surface has been put. Uh, yes, there will be small weeds once in a while, so to speak, but hopefully, you know, this is a new surface and, and things go well, humanly speaking. God Himself is now the gardener, so to speak, to use that metaphor. He is tendering that garden of the heart, getting rid of the weeds, as it were. But the non, the, the, the hindered heart is more like the lonely sand. These things have been growing in the background, they have come to dominate. The grass is still there but you just can't tell the difference. And the question for you this evening you have to ask yourself is which lawn <laughs> describes your life? The new one or the riddled one? Is your life being increasingly overrun by the weeds or would you say there's, you know, you can see the life of Christ there? The greenness in, in the new lawn that has been laid in your heart? Are you growing in surrendering to Jesus? Are you putting other things to death more and more? Do you have a hindered heart or do you have a healthy heart? What does a healthy heart look like? That is our second and final observation. So the first truth here is that hindered hearts are fruitless hearts. The good news is that healthy hearts are fruitful hearts. So we turn now to the final soil. Jesus stands to that. Uh, it is different from other soils. It represents those who hear the word, accept it, and bear lasting fruit. Look at verse 20. Those, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. I should just make the point here that the good soil... Is any heart that hears the word and produces fruit. Not because it is good of in of itself, but it is the response that is good. In the sense that it's the response that produces that fruit. After the power of God works on the heart, through faith, they now produce fruit. Because they have received a new heart, the new good heart. And look at the harvest there. Amazing, isn't it? Look at that. The average harvest, did you notice? The average harvest in this part of the world is seven-fold. So, if you plant the seed and you produce a sevenfold, seven-fold, is good, right? But notice here, so, so by the way, if, if it's seven-fold and then you have ten-fold, well, that's amazing, right? Seven should be the average. Ten, very good harvest. Twenty is like, wow, exceptional harvest uh, you know once in a lifetime but Jesus here is not talking about those figures He's, uh, this is a quantum leap 30 fold 60 fold and 100 hundredfold. I mean this is unthinkable I imagine that as Jesus mentions these figures the disciples here in the interpretation or the crowd ahead or here in the interpretation in this case are shaking their heads the disciples. This is unbelievable. Are you serious? What sort of field is this? I've got to put some money down. Who can produce such? And of course the answer is God. It's God. Jesus is ending this parable not just on a positive note, but on a miraculous note. He's saying this is what happens when God enters your life, friends. Salvation is not a local event; it is a cosmic event. This is a re. This is a second Genesis. New life. God is speaking. Great things happen. Notice here, Jesus is not saying all true followers of Jesus will bear fruit, uh, some a little uh, and some a lot. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying all true followers will bear great fruit. Amen? And I think actually that is a good thing. Because actually we should be excited by that. Because if you're truly converted, let's, let's ignore the harvest for a while. Jesus looks at your harvest as 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold, right? Jesus is saying all true followers will bear great fruit. Some fruit will be great, other fruit will be spectacularly great, and other fruit will be mind-boggling great. Right? Out of this world great. Because it is God at work in the life of the sinner who he has redeemed. And what is this fruit? Well, it is ultimately really to sum up these four sermons. The fruit is ultimately... We've looked at different parts of this fruit. But we can say it is ultimately growing into Christ-likeness. That solves everything. Because the Word of God and the Spirit of God takes all of the sinner... If you like, this new heart is given. It takes hold of us and it begins with this new heart. To, it, it plugs us first and foremost into the very life of God with this new heart. And then the word of God now begins to shape us, mold us to become more like Jesus. If you like true followers of Jesus, I have a healthy heart that's growing in thinking, speaking, and acting like Jesus. And because we become like Jesus, we have an impact on the world that is like Jesus. Hence the so Lord Jesus says that he will trust me who will do greater works than this. Because we are all becoming like him if we truly trust him. The Archbishop of Constantinople, John Chrysostom. Uh, preaching in the 4th century uh, during his uh, 20th homily, on the Acts of the Apostles said this, It is easier for the sun not to shine than for a Christian not to do so. It is easier for light itself to be darkness than for a Christian not to give light. Why? Because it is God working. And as we, if we have truly been regenerated, we should, be, we should be growing to become more and more like Jesus. And through becoming more like him, we impact the world. We are like light shining in a dark place. Now, I started this sermon with that question, didn't I? What is the condition of your heart? You have heard now four sermons. And today you've, heard, you've looked at four hearts. Is your heart hard? Trampled on by worldly things? Resistant? Is your, so, so we talked about that this morning. Is your heart hollow? Trouble comes and you, you are not where to be seen. Is your heart being hindered? These three hearts and regenerate hearts? Is your heart like one of these? If not, if you go one of these hearts, then you must come before God in true repentance. And this is the question we must ask as a fellowship, as we interview members, as we welcome new folk in the life of the church. We need this parable of the sower to be our template, don't we? Because the question is always asked, how do we know? How do we know? How do we know? Pastor, tell me, how do we know? I don't know. This is, this is, this, this is what we have to ask. As, as we can, help by the Holy Spirit, through prayer, to discern true conversion. So we, but we must start by asking ourselves, is my heart hard? Is my heart whole? Is my heart hindered? Or is my heart healthy? Can I say I have evidence of a healthier. In Berlin Art Gallery, there is a painting by the German painter Adolf Menzel. He lived from 1815 to 1905. Uh, this painting has only been partially finished. It was intended to show Frederick the Great speaking with some of his generals. It is said that Menzel painted the generals, well, Menzel painted the generals and the background, but he had decided to leave the king to last. What he did was he just put an outline of Frederick in the charcoal and then went on to paint the rest of the painting. But there was a problem there. He died prior to finishing the work. As I was thinking about that work, which is only partially complete. Everything is in place, but the king is missing. It occurs to me that many of us end life without ever putting Christ into his proper place, into the center stage. And that's the tragedy of these three soils, the hard soil, the hollow soil, and the hindered soil. So close, but yet so far, yet so And the parable is warning us that only those who truly surrender to Jesus, who put him at the center there, can have that assurance that they are genuinely converted. So this evening, friends, be sure you have a healthy heart, that you have truly surrendered to Jesus. Be sure he's at the very center of your life. And I tell you that if your heart is healthy, even in the middle of your failures, God will use those failures to even draw you more and more. And we could have said more about that. But if you're converted, even the mess you make is part of that work to to draw you closer. But you must be truly converted. You must be sure you have a new heart. And if you do have a new heart, then thank God for that new heart. And go on in surrendering to Jesus in every area of your life. I just want to leave you with this, friends. I hope you haven't found, for those of you who have a new heart, because it's contradictory if you did. If you have a new heart, you shouldn't find this, for, this going through this, first of all, in two things. You shouldn't find it taxing. You shouldn't say, why is the pastor always going on about radical surrender to Jesus? about sin, about these things. Well, if that's what you are asking as we go through Mark, then you're one of the three hearts at the the first three. The hard heart, perhaps, or the hollow heart, or the hindered heart. Because you shouldn't ask that. The true believer should never be complacent about his heart. Why? Because he knows the cost of that. Jesus, his Savior, has died. And because he has a new heart, he hates sin. So everything that reminds him about truly trusting Jesus (laughs) is sweet music to his ear. As I like to say, I love my wife, yes, (laughs) I do. And uh, anyone who helps me, who reminds me of the importance of loving my wife is a good friend of mine. Anyone who points you on the importance of ensuring that you have a heart that is new, that loves Jesus. Well, I was going to say hold them tightly but uh, be thankful to the Lord for the opportunity to be reminded of such. Amen.